to Cinema Adventure. We're a movie podcast where every week we sit down and have a discussion about a film. This week, this is our fourth week on the Wes Anderson series. Oh, wow. Look how far we've come. Very far. We're talking about <laughs> the Darjeeling Limited today. That's true. Yes. So, uh, can I tell you about what happened to me last night? What like, happened to you last night, Aiden? Well, last night I told you earlier in the week that we were going to do Fantastic Mr. Fox, mistakenly, because that's <laughs> the next movie that he made after the Darjeeling Limited. And uh, I had some time, so earlier in the night I watched Fantastic Mr. Fox, and then I looked at the schedule. And I sent you a text and I said, wait a second, we were supposed to do Darjeeling tomorrow. And you were like, I haven't seen anything yet. So I watched two Wes Anderson movies last night. Wow, you're a true champ. Yeah. How was that for you? It was actually quite good. I enjoyed both of these movies quite a sum. So I felt felt good about it. Because I like this one too. And I remember liking Fantastic Mr. Fox. I feel like if you're going to do like a little double feature, these are probably good movies to do that. Yeah. For sure. Hell yeah, totally. So, had you you've seen Darjeeling Limited before? I have not seen it, no. Oh. I feel like, I'm trying to think of what I haven't seen. I haven't seen this one. I hadn't seen Bottle Rocket when we saw it. That could, my, that's maybe it? Just like that little You had already seen Rushmore? I had already seen Rushmore. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see Life Aquatic either, so. It's been sort of educational for me. I liked it a lot more than Life Aquatic, for oh, sure. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I felt like it was very spiritually similar to Royal Tenenbaums, which I liked a lot. I think Wes Anderson's a lot better when, like, the, the material's more substantial so then the style isn't just, like, running amok. Like, it feels like it's, yes. like, attaching to something, and it's not, like, overdone here. So I think, yeah, I, I liked it a lot, and it was, like, I also liked it. I don't know why. It was only, like, 90 minutes, which was really nice. Oh, yeah. No, I think this movie is a great length. It doesn't yeah. feel like it goes on for too long. I feel like most, I wish most movies were just, like, 90 minutes. Because I feel like most can get the job done in that amount of time, but they just choose not to. And then it's, like, you have 20 minutes here and there that are, like, this doesn't need to be here. <laughs> if you're working within a three-act structure, then you've got a half an hour for each act. Yeah, that's a lot of time. So <laughs> keep it succinct. That's what I say. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think there's a wasted moment in the Darjeeling Limited. I don't either. No. I think it's I think it's pretty tight. It's really tight for the most part. And it... I think if it were outstretched, it would lose some of its effect, but it is just like a very quick, I mean, to the point, I mean, it is like a self-discovery sort of movie, but I think it's one of those things where, because it kind of moves quickly through each character's self-discovery, it doesn't ever feel like mundane or anything. It is just very, it's like it's able to convey everyone's emotions really well, but it also isn't dramatic about it. I don't know how to describe it, but... It doesn't like wallow in whatever they're miserable about. Do you want to give a plot rundown for the listeners at home? Yes, I would. I like would be. I would be honored. Uh, wow. But first, I want to ask you: Did the version oh. you have have the Hotel Chevalier short at the beginning? Um, I don't think it did because that's the one where like Natalie Portman's like in it, right? It's like an yeah. Extended, no, I didn't have that. In that mind. didn't really. Yeah. Why is that like a big oh. deal? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's pretty important to the movie. It's kind of because they say that it, at the beginning it says part one, and then when the movie starts it says part two. Um, I mean, I don't know. Uh-oh. You it's, should go and watch the short. I mean, I feel like it's not my fault since it's not really. Like the yeah. theatrical version I don't think had that with it. That was like an additional I wonder, thing. So. I think it adds quite a bit to, to Jason um, Schwartzman's Isn't character. It, what's that? Is that about like his and like Natalie Portman breaking up or so something. So they're, they're like, in some kind about? of complicated relationship. They mm-hmm. don't really go into it at all. Yeah. But he is staying in Paris. Mm-hmm. And he's been there for a long time. She she shows up out of the blue. She calls him. And she's like, can I come over? Can I come there? And he... Or she basically says, I'm coming there. And he's like, okay. So mm-hmm. she shows up. And 
she's got like really short hair and she looks kind of like very punk rock and I love it. she shows up and it's weird they kind of hang out he orders some food and their relationship is clearly like really murky because she's saying all these things like oh I love you but she just seems like really uninterested but then he's really mean and then he asks her how long she's gonna stay and she says I'm just gonna be here for 24 hours and then I'm out wow yeah the audacity. <laughs> yeah, and then the next time we see Jason Schwartzman after that is is in India. Gotcha. Yeah, because mine just started with um, Bill Murray trying to catch the train and failing miserably at gotcha. that. Yeah, I think you should go and watch the short. I, I honestly think it adds quite a lot to the I film. I think so. I wonder why it is kind of like some some like versions of it have it and then some don't. Because I feel like yeah, I don't know. I think it's I think it's got to be attached. Well, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it wasn't for me. I don't know why, but who can say? It's strange that the short is tonally much different from the rest of the yeah. movie and it feels it feels like it, if it was if it was a full movie if it's called Hotel Chevalier yeah. if it was an entire movie on its own and it was directed by Wes Anderson it would be totally different from anything mm. else he's done and I think it would be amazing really? I think it would be really really good so is it like a little darker would you it's say? a little darker and it's about 10 minutes long and there's kind of this air of mystery about it, and you're like, I wonder what the, hmm. the rest of the story is with these characters, and you just you wish that you knew. I'm intrigued. Yeah, I really love that short. I watched it with a friend, and we were both sitting there going, man, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie, and I don't remember what this is about. And we were both just like, yeah. dang. <laughs> so, so yeah, so it starts with a short, and then Jason Schwartzman ends up in India, and it's three brothers, mm-hmm. and their names are... I definitely don't Francis, know. Francis... <laughs> Peter and Jack. Mm-hmm. And they're played by Owen Wilson, Jason Schwartzman, and Adrian Brody. Yeah. Which is a great crew. It's a great crew. It's a great crew. And uh, they're in India because Francis, the oldest brother, played by Owen Wilson, uh, has decided that they need to go on a spiritual journey because <laughs> their father has just died. So they get on a train called the Darjeeling Limited and they travel around India in that way and get into some hijinks. I don't know how much else I really That's need to good. say. Uh, their mother's in India, and they find her at one point, and she's just as flaky as Jason mm. Schwartzman's character seems to be. Kind of understand where he gets it from. Yeah, she's just as bossy as Owen Wilson's character, so you see where he gets that from. And then mm. Adrian Brody doesn't seem like he's related to her in any way whatsoever, <laughs> but. That's great. Yeah, and she's played by Angelica Houston, who looks a lot like Cat Power when she released the Sun album, so I really appreciated that <laughs> weird comparison. I do like about this movie, I was like thinking about it reminded me so much of like the movies of like Robert Allman, like how he keeps like a steady stable of actors for the most part for like every movie and like I mean, like, obviously the actors are recurring in most of Anderson's movies, but this one, it really, I don't know, stuck out to me a lot more, and I just thought, like, it is nice to have Bill Murray and Angelica Houston are in, like, really small roles, but it is nice to see, you know, these characters, these actors still continue to pop up, even if maybe their role's not so huge or whatever. It is just nice to see these familiar faces over and over again. Because I think, in general, like, I always like to think that, like, actors on movie sets all get along and are friends. So I think when you see this it reinforces the idea and kind of makes the viewing experience a little more fun because you get the sense that they are enjoying what they're doing. So, oh, yeah. And these three have that. such good chemistry they on really screen. They really do, yeah. It's so believable that they're brothers. Yeah. No, there's, like, this very palpable animosity between them. Like, you really feel like they are brothers who have, like, never gotten along and are just trying to kind of figure it out just for the sake of this trip. And it feels... It's very convincing for the most part. I think what I like the most about this film is that, you know, I think it could be really bad if this movie was like oh yeah we're three brothers and we're going to india because we're gonna have 
this super spiritual journey and it's yeah. going to work. But then it's it's much more real than that because they end up there and they do they get these peacock feathers because there's this ritual you can do that's supposed to, you know, help with I, I don't it's like luck or something. It's supposed to mm-hmm. help you with your aspirations and they all do it wrong and they mm-hmm. can't and they can't figure out how to do the rituals right. And it's not I wouldn't say that it's disrespectful in any way. Yeah. It's just it just paints a really clear picture of these dudes and just kind of shows you that, you know, leaving and going anywhere and expecting a spiritual journey is a flawed idea yeah. just on its own. And I think there's a moment, I think it's Owen Wilson who says, I can't remember, it's one of the brothers, says, oh man, I can't believe we came here for, you know, some kind of journey or enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Like what a mistake that turned out to be. And then they have this whole experience soon after where they rescue these boys from the river. And then they're invited to this funeral in the small village. And you wonder if they understand after that, that that is the journey that they're going yeah. on, that that's the spiritual journey that they're meant to have. But it might be over their heads. Yeah. No, I kept thinking about it too while watching this movie. It reminded me how so many times when you're having, I mean, I've never personally gone on like a self-discovery journey. But I mean, even just going on vacation or trying to run away from life, like there does come a point in the vacation where you kind of, there's a part of you that's like, oh, like there's this reality that maybe I'm like running from. And you definitely can feel that throughout the movie. Like they're all... And their heads are like, we're going to discover something. But really the truth is is that it's kind of up to them to have this new lease on life. Like, they're the ones that are going to have to have a different outlook. If they continue, I don't know, kind of, I don't want to say like a negative attitude necessarily, but if they just continue, you know, sitting in their mindsets, there's not going to be anything. So I think like that scene is very pivotal to the movie where like, because like they rescue the kids in the river and one of them dies. And I think, I don't exactly know how that like symbolizes kind of the beginning of their self-discovery, but I think it does mark this idea of a lot of what they do could have an impact on others. I don't know how you interpreted that, but... Yeah, I'm not sure, especially how the rescuing the kids from the river impacts Owen Wilson or Jason Schwartzman's characters, Mm -hmm. but I know for sure how it impacts Adrian Brody's character because he has run away on this journey for kind of another reason, which is that his wife is pregnant Mm -hmm. and... He doesn't know how to deal with that, and she's going to deliver in, like, a week or, like, two yeah. weeks or something. And Well, I think they say it's six weeks, but they're so in India for soon, a really yeah. long time. They're in India for definitely yeah. over six weeks. So she delivers while he's still there. Mm-hmm. But he, after that scene, when he's in the village, you see him, after being really nervous about the whole baby thing, he's holding one of the babies from the village, and he's just kind of comforting it and just having a conversation with some people in the village. and. Mm-hmm. You can tell that he's gotten over some of his fears after having this more traumatic experience because the kid that he was supposed to rescue from the river dies. Yeah. Right. And it's yeah, it's pretty profound. And I'm sure I'm sure that there are ways that you could probably figure out how it affected the other two brothers as well. But I'm I'm not sure what those are. That's for sure the most straightforward, I think, version of that. It is, like, definitely a huge departure from Life Aquatics. I feel like that one is so overly whimsical, whereas this one, I feel like for the most part, I I mean, the comedy is there and it's very dry, as it is in most of his movies. But, I mean, you have scenes like that that are conveyed very seriously, and I like that change of pace for Anderson, because I do think he is a really good filmmaker when he's not, like, being overly reliant on his aesthetic um, yep. tendencies. Like, mm-hmm. I think he is... I love to see him just make a very conventional movie because I think he's capable of... Just doing something, even just like if it's a straightforward kind of a director for hire kind of gig, like I think he could pull that off really well. So I feel like I do tend to like him more when he's not at his most Anderson-y or Anderson-esque, I guess. Yeah. I think that's why the film works a lot of the time for me. I think one of the strengths of this film, for sure, 
and this is one of the things that my friend I was watching with brought this up to me. Mm-hmm. And that's all the little details in this film always come back around in some way. Mm. Every little thing. There's a bit near the beginning where they stop at a bazaar after they've gotten off the train. They have an hour or something. And they go into town. Adrian Brody buys a snake. And Jason Schwartzman buys a pepper spray. I don't think Owen Wilson really gets anything. He gets the feathers. I believe he gets yeah, the, yeah. Three, the three peacock feathers at that point. All of those objects come back around. The snake ends up being a part of the plot. Later on, it gets loose on the train. There's a bit where the brothers are wrestling each other, and Jason Schwartzman's like, I'm sorry, this is for your own good, and he sprays them both with pepper spray, <laughs> and they just get in a big wrestling match. There's a bit where Jason Schwartzman gets a package in the mail from Natalie Portman, and it's perfume that she wears, and... Owen Wilson's like, you gotta destroy, you gotta destroy that. Wow, and and uh, great imitation. They just they just smash it, they just break it in yeah. the train compartment, and then later on the conductor comes on and he walks into the room and the first thing he says after he's trying to kick them out for releasing the snake mm-hmm. is, "What's that smell?" <laughs> and it's been quite a while since yeah. it was smashed, so I just love all those little details. I think fit together really perfectly, and yeah. I think in any other movie, you know, if you're in a scene with a bazaar and a character picks up a little trinket and it's just fun because they're on vacation, it wouldn't come back around. Yeah. But he, and there's a lot of attention to totally. detail. Another thing my friend mentioned, which I thought was really, really observant, which just totally went over my head, is that the timing that they have in the film is really good. Mm. At the scene where they're at dinner on the train, they order, and then there's a few lines of dialogue, and it feels like the perfect amount of time for the guy to come back with their drinks yeah. when he does. And it doesn't feel interrupting, it just, it makes sense. And they were like so enamored of that. They were like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, the timing was just right. I can't imagine writing a script and thinking, okay, so they just ordered, now I have to do this many lines of dialogue, and then the yeah. drinks will be delivered. So just, just the little things like that are, are, what, are what make a movie believable. And I think this movie really has a lot of detail in it that You'd have to watch it a bunch of times to catch everything. But. Yeah. Well, I'm just a sucker for that kind of stuff because even, yeah, little things like that, they ultimately show that the director is very, very, I mean, obviously attentive to detail, but that he's putting a lot of care into his product. I feel like so many movies, you just kind of, they're probably just going through the motions and trying to get scenes done on time, whatever. But Anderson, it's very clear that from the beginning, he has everything super mapped out, which is, even when I don't love him, that is one of the things I always admire the most about him is that there's never anything that feels offhanded. Everything feels very, like, markedly planned. So definitely like that. It's very organized. Oh, totally. And I, you know, I think there's other other ones of his films that that we haven't liked, like Life Aquatic. They really meander and they take their time. Yeah. You know, this film doesn't have exactly, like, a really laid out plot. You know, it, it's, uh-huh. it is kind of about these guys wandering in a straight line on a train in India. But it feels like it has real purpose and direction to it. Whereas... I guess that's kind of my issue with the Royal Tenenbaums is it feels a little more kind of up in the air, a little more spacey, yeah. and it just feels like it meanders too much. But this one, I think, it feel, everything feels like it needs to be be there. Oh, yeah. And I think, it, yeah, it's tight, like you say, and I also think that, like, the location works really well. I think a lot of other movies um, that are set in India, really just any other kind of exotic locale, they tend to look at the area through kind of a touristy lens and really just being like, oh, look at how pretty whatever is. Whereas I feel like this, I mean, obviously it is depicted very beautifully, but you still get a sense of how, like, unfamiliar it is to these characters and how it kind of is uncomfortable because they're so confused a lot of the time, like, directionally where they're going. And I think it kind of mirrors this idea of, like, even when they're in their real lives, they're still kind of trying to make sense of their lives and what's going on, and I think... The in, like the India setting really emphasizes that having this you're kind of lost no matter where you go because you're still 
you're just struggling to make sense of what your life is, basically. All right, so Aiden, I feel like now is the time um, for you to deliver some fun facts about okay, well, the Darjeeling Limited. We'll be right back, right after this theme song. <laughs> So, yeah, the fun facts for this movie, I think, are quite fun. And I think they, they make sense for some of the people who are in them. Jason Schwartzman's character does not wear shoes at all for really? the entire film. I did not notice that at Yeah, all. he doesn't wear, wear shoes. And I'm going to attach onto that fun fact something that I noticed, which is at the end of the, well, at the beginning, during Hotel Chevalier, he's wearing a yellow robe uh, that's from the hotel that has the, mm. the name of the hotel on it. Uh, while he's in Paris. But at the end of the movie, when they get to the place where their mom is, he's wearing the robe again. So he wow. stole the robe from Paris <laughs> and is now wearing it in India to go up to the top of this hill to blow on a peacock feather and get good luck or whatever the peacock feather is for. Not good for him. Very good, yeah. Then another one, Owen Wilson's character is in a really terrible accident at the beginning of the movie that's off screen, which you find mm. out was on purpose, which is really sad. Yeah. Like he tried to crash a motorcycle, I think, to mm-hmm. kill himself. Yeah. He has a limp for the whole movie. So uh. Owen Wilson kept a small lime in his shoe to simulate <laughs> the limp. So he would always be uncomfortable. So we'd oh, have boy. to like bounce forward on it. Uh, so that's another fun fact. <laughs> allegedly, Anderson was, well, not allegedly, actually, Wes Anderson was heavily inspired by the 1951 film The River to make this movie. Um, have you seen that? I have not seen it, but I've heard of it. Neither have I. It's been on my watch list for a really long time. I know this would be great, but I, that makes me more intimidated. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. a lot of the music for the Darjeeling Limited is taken from The River and from, uh, I, for, really? or from other... Indian films, I think, by that director, oh. because this was this is I think his only film that doesn't have a composed soundtrack. It's all music from uh, other places. That's true. Yeah, I remember there was another thing about that where he got in contact with Martin Scorsese so he could use like Martin Scorsese's personal movie theater to have a screening of The River because oh. apparently he has some probably like on film version of it. Oh, I'm sure of something he does. something really cool. <laughs> uh, so he he's happy about being able to do that. And then lastly, and I think this is the the most fun kind of in-the-know filmmaker, like in-joke, the brothers are named Francis, Peter, and Jack for Francis Ford Coppola, Peter Bogdanovich, and Jack Nicholson. Oh, boy. Wow. Look at... Wow. I love that. That's a fun fact. That's a very fun fact. Would never have thought about that. No. Yeah. Wow. So those are the facts. That's what I got. (laughs) Those were good facts. I thoroughly enjoyed them. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anything else you want to touch on? Um, what's, let's see if I did not. I feel like I touched on mostly everything. I thought these points would be like more broad, but I guess they weren't. I feel like I succinctly said that. Yeah. They took less time than I thought. What do you think about the dialogue in this movie? I felt like it was very sparse for the most part, which I personally liked a lot. So I think the movie is pretty psychological for the most part. You are spending a lot of time trying to figure out these characters and what they're thinking and um, all their different neuroses, but... I think because the dialogue is sparse, it kind of gives you room to kind of figure out what's brewing up in those noggins, basically. What's driving them? So I was a big fan of that. Did you feel the same way? Yeah, I feel like the dialogue in this film is is more believable than most of his other films. Oh, definitely. It feels a lot less stylized as well, and so I appreciated that because I feel like sometimes... I think that is a major difference, too, for me, is a lot of the characters in his past movies didn't really feel... They felt very much like characters and very not super convincing. Like, they'd be entertaining, but I'd be like, this person 
wouldn't really exist, or if they did exist, they're just very exaggerated. Whereas this one, it, everyone feels possible. Yeah, I think the most exaggerated character in this one is probably Jason Schwartzman. Yeah. Because he's kind of a relic, it seems, of of Anderson's other films, in a uh, way, because he's writing a short story, mm-hmm. you know, he has kind of a goofy mustache. <laughs> he's just a, he's a little touch of that eclectic edge yeah, that you sure. see in Anderson's movies, but it's not, it's he's not, not over, over the top. top. He's still, mm-hmm. he's still a believable person. I'm sure that there are people with silly mustaches who are writing short stories <laughs> on trains. Never. That's gotta be a pretty common occurrence to be frank. I hope. Yeah, <laughs> please. Please, we need more of that. <laughs> I think that's what I got. I think that's what, I think that's, that's where good. we're at for we this week. all the good bases. Okay, I guess I have one more thing. Do you Perfect. think that they handled the setting in a respectful way? Do you think that... I think they did, because I think a lot of movies, they run the risk of playing up the exotic nature, like, too much and trying to be like, well, look at this other place that's so magical, kind of. And I don't feel like it ever felt like that. Yeah. I think, if anything, they really... I felt like I was more aware of just them being trying to adjust to a new setting more than I was, like, them trying to, like, romanticize it or whatever or make it unrealistic. So I thought it was respectful. I feel the same way. And I'm yeah. interested in reading into this more because I know that there are some people who think that this movie is disrespectful really? and mishandles the setting. Mm. So I would, I guess I'd encourage anybody who's listening who's interested in that to read about it. No, I probably will, um, too. I don't want to really talk about it because I don't think I could say anything very informed. Yeah. But no, I'm, interested. I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested because this too. is... To be frank, this is one of my favorite movies. Oh, I really do love this movie, oh, and I hope good. that there isn't anything that's like patently offensive in it. But yeah, yeah. I guess you'll find out if you. Read I guess stuff I guess soon. I'll find out. I'll have to. I'll have to read about it. I feel like when have I have an opinion. Yeah, when I really like argumented things like that, though, I always end up getting kind of convinced. So we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm very easily persuaded. Yeah. All right. I guess I'm less so, especially if it's a movie that I really like, and that's good and bad because you know sometimes some. Yeah, sometimes you'll kind of overlook things. That, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll have to check it out, and maybe I'll mention it on our Fantastic Mr. Fox episode. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that brings us to final thoughts. Yeah, final thoughts. I think this is one of Anderson's strongest works. I think it's his his most mature movie we've seen up until this point. But yeah, I think it is. It's very effective for being a relatively tight, short movie. And yeah, I don't think it's overly whimsical. Like, I've had an issue with a lot of his movies. So I personally like this one a lot more than a lot of what I've seen. So I'd say check it out. Possibly, I, I don't know, but I also feel like Anderson fans will like this more than like newcomers. Maybe if you're more of a fan, check this out. I'd say if you're a newcomer, start maybe with like Royal Tenenbaums, but yeah, I like it. Yeah, I think this is definitely my favorite Wes Anderson movie, and I know that's, I don't know if that's a super controversial opinion among Wes Anderson fans. You're I going think to jail. Going to jail, going to Anderson jail. <laughs> this is my favorite one, and I, I, I like a lot of them, but this one is definitely my favorite. I've seen it the most mm. times of any of them. So, so yeah, I think that it nails a lot of things. It's got a really nice look. It's got a beautiful color palette. I think it's a, a good movie about going on a journey and, and learning something from it, or not, depending on which character you're talking about. Yeah, I think I think there's something really, really wonderful about it. So yeah, that's my thoughts. I love this movie. Beautiful thoughts. Thank you. I love them. Recommendation? Should I start? Do you want to start? Uh, you should start, okay. I think. I'm a big fan. I have two this week. One of them's kind of an adventure movie, and the other mm. one's more of an arty style movie. So the first one, I'll go with arty first. After watching the short again, Hotel Chevalier, <laughs> I was reminded, because I hadn't seen this movie in a little while, but yeah. I was reminded of Breathless, the mm. uh, Jean-Luc Godard movie just because of i guess i guess just the simple fact that it's natalie portman and she's got short hair and <laughs> <Sigeen> uh, <laughs> yeah jason schwartzman just in a hotel room and they're just kind of lying on a bed 
if they sat around and had a conversation for longer, I, it would definitely be a reference. Mm-hmm. But it just it just really felt like that movie to me. And yeah. I didn't love Breathless when I saw it. I know it's like a really intense movie that you're supposed to really like. I've only seen it once. Mm-hmm. So I'll have to watch it again. But yeah. that'd be my recommendation. It's definitely a much different movie than this movie. But mm-hmm. interesting in look. Oh, for sure. And then my other recommendation that's about an adventure that partially takes place on a train is Alfred Hitchcock's 1935 film, The 39 Steps, which is a great adventure movie, and it's a lot of fun, and it's very funny. And they actually made it into a play, or maybe it was a play first. I believe they made it into a play after the movie. And I've seen the play live, which was also really fantastic, so I'd recommend... Yeah. If, yeah. if you have you not seen the movie? I've seen the movie, but like I always feel like I see advertisements for the play, and I'm like, oh, that'd be so fun. The play is fun. Never... You should go. Hmm. Yeah, I, I went and saw a production of it years and years and years ago as a kid, and mm-hmm. I loved it. So yeah. So yeah, if you like the movie after watching it, definitely see the play if it's yeah. in your area. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. What do you got? Um, so I feel dumb because I feel like. In hindsight, now I would have picked movies that I really like that are on trains, but instead I just like went with movies that use location really well. Which Snowpiercer. Is... Oh, there's Snowpiercer. Is a movie. There you go. <laughs> couldn't um, be any more different than the movie we just watched. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I went with like movies that I think have really memorable settings. So my first one is Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette. That one's very famous for being very over the top visually. Um, it really tries to emphasize the debauchery of Antoinette's living. And so in that movie, I think, because it is mostly set in like the Versailles Palace. And so in that one, the location does kind of become a character in itself in the same way that India is in the Darjeeling Limited. So I just kind of kept seeing parallels between that, just like comparing how settings are used to kind of emphasize the emotions of these characters. And I think there's a lot of similarities. And Jason Schwartzman's also in that movie. So I guess, you know, transition to that. It was made like a year before. Maybe double feature it. I don't know. Jason Schwartzman spent a lot of time on trains in those uh, couple of years, huh? Well, there's no train in this one. Uh, or maybe there I might misunderstood. Be. There might be like a carriage. but <laughs> spends a lot of time Who in carriages. Say? Yeah, well, I do love Marie Antoinette a little bit more than that movie. So. I'll have to check it out. I haven't I, seen it. I love that movie. I think it's so underrated. Everyone always acts like it's kind of like Sofia Coppola's worst movie after like maybe Blame Ring or something, which I also like, but <laughs> it's not. It's fantastic. Uh, another one is um, the final part in the Before Sunrise trilogy, Before Midnight. That one is set in Greece, and it basically features the characters from the previous movies. So if you like haven't heard of the Before Sunrise trilogy, it just basically you're introduced to this couple when they're like 25 and then the next movie you meet them again when they're like 35 they like reunite in that movie basically and then in this one uh they've been married for a long time and they're kind of having some marital issues and so they go to vacation in greece presumably not for like self-discovery like the characters in the darjeeling limited but just to kind of get away from it all but things end up do coming to a head despite trying to kind of escape reality so saw some parallels there I'm a huge fan of that movie, but I'm also a huge fan of the trilogy in general. So maybe just check out the whole thing. I don't know. I've been meaning to watch those movies for They're a while. They're fantastic. And I guess they all do use exotic settings, so I shouldn't really say like just this one. Because I think the other ones are like France and Vienna. I think the Vienna. first one takes place in Paris, doesn't it? I think it's in Vienna. Uh, no, you're right. It's Vienna. And the second yeah. one, I think, is Paris. Yeah, the second one's Paris. Yeah. yeah. So they all do. But yeah, those are mine. If you would like to hear more of us talking about movies, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Android, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on our website, uwpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at TheFilmCast, and you can find us on our personal accounts, at Aiden Walkerow or at Blake W. Peterson. 
If you want to write us with a suggestion for a film or just want to share your thoughts with us, you can shoot us an email at cinemadventurepodcast at gmail.com. Please, uh, if you like the show, share it with a friend, get on the Twitter, do something like that, get us out there uh, so we can get that word out. If you want to follow along with us, next week we're going to be talking about Fantastic Mr. Fox uh, for our next Wes Anderson episode. Woo. Yep. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Toodles. That's very Did you know Peruvians have their own type of Chinese food? Or that Vietnamese food is heavily influenced by French cuisine? Have you ever wondered what other cultures' drunk food is like? Explore these topics and more right here on the Soundbite Network. My name is Dee Dee Madigan, and I'm the host of Home Plates, a podcast all about food. Catch up on the first season of Home Plates on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. New episodes air every Wednesday. For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.